Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 86, Stan Lee in Memoriam. <laughs> Chris McBrien, that's Derek Myers. Yancey Eaton is still on vacation. Hopefully he's going to be back at some point in the near future. Keeping his seat warm, though, and doing a wonderful job filling in. Derek, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks again for having me on. Oh, it's great. So what's going on in pop culture in your world? Uh, well, a few things. Uh, so last night I had the uh, pleasure of going to see the movie Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is the sequel oh to yes. Wreck-It Ralph. Did you see Wreck-It Ralph? No, I didn't. I've got young kids, but I haven't seen that one. He's the one okay. of he's got the big fists and he like breaks everything, right? Yeah, he's basically it's like a parody of Donkey Kong. The idea, okay, yeah. the first one is it's like he's the villain, he's the he's the the bad guy that you know wrecks the building, and then the game is called Fix It Felix Junior, and it's sort of like a Mario type character who fixes the building, and Ralph's always like, I gotta wreck it, and he destroys the building. Anyway, uh, the first movie was great. They did a sequel. Uh, it's been six years since the original, and in the movie, six years have passed, and in this particular one, the character of Ralph gets uh, through Wi-Fi, gets on the internet. Uh, it's a really great movie. I had a lot of fun. Uh, it is definitely more of a movie geared towards grown-ups than children, although it is a Disney movie mm-hmm. and it is still definitely a kid's movie. But I think if your kids are really young, so much of this movie is going to go over their head. They may get bored. They may lose track. But – for the grown-ups, for the parents, uh, there's a lot of great stuff here. It was a good movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. And anyone who hasn't seen it, who is planning to see it, definitely stick around through the credits. There are a couple of scenes that, much like uh, the comic book movies these days, there are scenes that take place during the credits and even after all the credits. There's a post credit scene. So if you're going to see Ralph Breaks the Internet in the theater, stick around Watch the credits. You will be glad you did. There's a couple little Easter eggs along the way. So you know what that- movie? You know I, we, well, that's definitely. I'll try and get it to watch it, especially with my kids. You know, what movie I loved watching the end credits for was the Cannonball Run. I was going to say <laughs> it was so. I knew good. You were going to say that because <laughs> during the credits they've got all the all the bloopers of them, and it's usually it's almost always Burt Reynolds cracking up uh, Dom DeLuise. <laughs> It's just like, I just, I don't know what, there's something about it I just love. I just, uh, that's my favorite credits to watch. Because normally a lot of times in, in the theater, everyone, the credits start, everyone just jumps up and walks out. And, and in the past, depending on the film, I've been known to kind of sit there and even read the credits. Like, I don't know as crazy as that sounds. Do you do that too? You're a movie buff like me, so. I, I don't read the credits. Although, when we were younger, we used to play a little game where you would look for your own name, someone who has the same first name as you in the credits. Oh, that's and, fun. And then whoever had the most instances of, you know, if you went to a movie with Michael, it's like, I found nine Michaels. It's like, <laughs> I was Boy, that could win. And so that was always a little thing we used to do when we were, when we were like, teenagers and we were oh, sticking around so so nice when you've got like just a whole gaggle of nerds <laughs> my name is chris okay yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the chris is this movie it's like <laughs> the whole so. gaggle of nerds around you doing that it's always good um, um for me uh, sorry yeah, go ahead the other thing i want to mention yeah. is uh, in your previous podcast the last few weeks you've yes. been talking about you're looking for shows to binge watch oh yes yes watch breaking bad and then you've tried some other shows that you didn't necessarily care for a couple people uh, so a, gotta, couple, a couple of listeners actually told me to watch ozark and i'm almost done season two and it's really good i like it a lot 
Yeah, I watched so. season one. I loved it. I haven't watched season two oh, yet. So good. But, so Ozark is what you're watching now? Is yeah, that that's almost done. I only have one episode left. Okay, perfect. So I'm looking time. for something. You got something for me? What do you got? I got something. Please, show- please be happy days. Please be happy days. What's happy days? <laughs> <laughs> you be uh, careful. So, the show is called Billions. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Uh, so that was that was, a, that was a version of Richie Rich comics, if I remember correctly. Uh, not exactly. Not exactly. Not the same? So uh, I know that you tried to watch Homeland and you didn't care for it. Yeah, and I didn't I, really dig it. I no. was the same. I tried yeah. watching it and I didn't care for yeah. it. My wife watched it. She loved it. Uh, one of the main characters in Homeland is the actor Damian Lewis. He was the male lead. Um, he is the lead, the co-lead in Billions. And in Billions, he plays a head fund manager who is. A, a, literally a billionaire. He's one of you know one of the richest uh, business tycoons. And Paul Giamatti plays the um, district attorney uh, who basically realizes that this guy is a crooked businessman and he needs to be punished and he needs to be stopped. And so it's the two of them sparring through the legal system and playing mental games on each other. And uh, it's gone uh, three seasons, the four seasons in production now. It is fabulous. It is fantastic. Now. This could actually hurt the recommendation, but uh, you guys watched the movie Rounders, if I remember correctly, as a previous yes, one. Yes, Yancey so, had me review that And you one. didn't care for it, which no, I totally like disagree. It. It, Although one of my favorite actors was in it, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we make fun of it the way his name said. Um, so the creators <laughs> any, of – Any chance to get his name in here. So Yeah. <laughs> the creators of the show Billions are the same guys that created the movie Rounders. And so – with Billions, and I know that probably hurts the recommendation because I know you didn't really care for Rounders, but Billions is fantastic. It's it's largely a dialogue-driven drama where it's you know they they have witty things to say. The characters are all hyper intelligent. They are literally the best at what they do, and there's a lot of mind games going on. The performances are excellent. The cast is excellent. Um, yeah, I, I started binging it last week, and I'm almost at the end of season two. Like I, every night, I come home, I watch a couple episodes, I download them on my phone, so I can watch them during my commute. It, it is great. I, I strongly encourage you to 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 take it, take a look. I will right, we'll definitely do that. So, are you ready to get to our topic this week? We're going to be taking a look at Stan Lee uh, in memoriam. We're going to take a look back at his career and um, the influence that he had on pop culture. Are you ready to get started? Absolutely. Uh, here we go. I was like, oh my God, that was incredible. Okay, so we got the millennials take on it. It's weird. We might get to scorched earth yet. But you often have the uh, textbook dancer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does that make sense? Yep. You've been doing a lot of stuff from the 80s, a lot of comedies. Holiday Rap by MC Micro G and DJ Swen. So this wasn't a film that I grew up with. It's boring as shit. I think I know that. Could you sing us a few bars? What the living hell am I watching? Okay, so as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Stan Lee. We're going to take a look back at, uh, like I say, the influence that he had on pop culture, which was like enormous. Um, I the funny thing for me is though to kick things off. I I mentioned this before. Like, I was never a big superhero comic book guy when I was a kid. Like like I, don't get me wrong, I loved comic books as a kid, but I just didn't like superhero comic books. And I remember this kind of surprised Yancey because he's like, I never thought of it like this. There's a whole genre of comic books out there that are not superheroes, believe it or not. Stuff like, you know, like I, I mentioned, I like I like the funny ones, like Richie Rich and Archie, you know? That's the kind of stuff like that I 
I think of when it comes to comic books, you know. But um, Stan Lee did have a huge influence on my childhood, just indirectly. And we're going to get to that a bit later. But do you want to, like, kind of dig into it a bit more? You're much more of a comic book guy than I am. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Thanks. So, much like when we do our top five lists... The things I'm going to talk about tonight are the things that are important to me personally, the things that I felt were important. Uh, and these may not be, you know, the, the product that Stanley put out that made the most money, the thing that was most well received, although I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of that kind of stuff anyway. Uh, really, I want to it's sort of a from the heart. This is this is my chance to to share some of the insight in, into me about why I like comic books and, and how comic books have been important to me all my life. So I, I'm not going to waste your time by rehashing 45 minute biography of Stanley. I figure if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Stanley is. And if you're a big fan, you probably already know all that stuff. And if you're, yeah, not, you you can look that stuff up. Instead, yeah, we want to give the, the the personal thing. Yeah. Like what, what what how he affected us personally, right? Yeah. And if you're not a big fan, then you don't want to hear all that stuff. And we want you to keep listening. We don't want to give you a reason to not listen. So, I mean, I'll, I'll hit some of the broad strokes, but this isn't just going to be a rehash of. And then he did this, and then he did that, and then he did this. Although we'll talk about some of his accomplishments, uh, it's more just how how th- we felt that they influenced us and and the influence they had on pop culture. So, that being said, let me start off with some of the nuts and bolts, just so that we're sort of all on the same page. So. Sure. Uh, Stanley, uh, passed away on November 12th, just a couple of weeks ago. He was 95 years old, 95. Can you imagine you lived to 95 years old? And I think I, and when we talked about this in one of the previous podcasts, when he first passed away, I, be, I described him as a rock star. He's a pop culture rock star. And he did, he lived a pop culture rock and roll life. Now he didn't get into the comic book side of things. He didn't, uh, you know, Marvel comics didn't become a thing, uh, understands guidance until, the early 60s, 1961. And at the, by that time, he was almost 40 years old. So, yeah, he lived the rock star life, but he had to really work to get there. And then once he was there, he continued to work like a dog to to make it what it was. Um, so, again, let me just let me just throw some facts out at you here. So Stanley worked um, – uh, when he got into the comic industry, this was after World War II. He, he came back from the war and he worked as a, uh, a writer with, at the time, what was called Atlas Comics. Atlas Comics eventually, uh, in the early 60s, changed their name to Marvel Comics. And this was when they sort of were rebranding and they started to introduce superheroes. So up until then, uh, DC Comics had Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and sort of the, the classic, iconic capital S superheroes. And they, they really had the market cornered on that. Now, there were obviously other superheroes out there, but nobody as popular as the ones DC had. But, you know, the, the Superman and Batman, they were created in the late 30s, or at least early 40s. So this is now 20 plus years later. And there's a waxing and waning of these kinds of things. And superheroes were sort of passe. There were still comic books. You still had romance and horror and westerns and space comics and whatever else. And that's the kind of thing Stan Lee was working on at the time. He was writing all of these different genres of comics, basically, as think of it like a staff writer. Your boss puts this in front of you and says, I need a 12-page comic about XYZ and it, uh, whatever genre. And he, you know, he was just churning it out to make a buck in the, late, uh, in the early 60s. As the story goes, 
he was not happy doing what he was doing. He felt his creativity was being stifled. He didn't have a chance to sort of tell his story. And he was ready to quit and give up the comics industry. And as the story goes, his wife, Joan, at the time said, you know what? If you're thinking about quitting anyway, why don't you just take one last stab at it? Do the story you want to do. And if nobody likes it and you get fired, who cares? You were going to quit anyway. But if it's as great as you think it is, as we think it is, then you could be onto something. And so he decided to go back and uh, what he produced was Fantastic Four, which in the Marvel Universe, they're the first family of comics. They are the, the, that is the title that kicked off the new Marvel Comics machine. And it was, it was a hit. It was an immediate hit. It was unlike any of the other superhero comics out there. And he immediately came, you know, followed it up with things like, uh, you know, Spider-Man and the Hulk and Thor and Iron Man. And the idea here that was so revolutionary for a, a hero, for a superhero comic book was these are characters that the reader can actually identify with. These are real people. They feel like real people. They have real problems that real people have. Like the Fantastic Four is a family and they're always arguing and yelling at each other and bickering and getting into fights that have nothing to do with having superpowers. And, you know, yet in every issue, they work together, they overcome the problem, they, they defeat the bad guy. But as a youngster reading these things, like you can look at it and go, well, the brother and sister in the Fantastic Four are always fighting. I'm always fighting with my brothers and sisters. Like, I can relate to that. <laughs> right. How, how do you relate to, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne, millionaire. I have unlimited resources and a personal butler. I have a secret cave under my house. Don't you have those things? Like, that, that's hard for the reader to identify with. It's more of a wish fulfillment, right? You, you have, if you think of it, Superman and Batman represent the absolute pinnacles of what they are. Superman is the godlike character. He is the fastest, the strongest, he can fly, he can like he can do everything. He has all the superpowers. Any, you know, he has everything you would assume a godlike being should have. He is perfection. And then a year this, you know, and he was created in the late 30s. Then a year later they create Batman. And aside from his troubled past of, you know, being an orphan and his parents being brutally murdered in front of him, he becomes the perfection of humanity. He is the absolute maximum. What is the best thing a person can do physically, mentally? You know, he's got all this money. Like you have these two characters in Superman and Batman that are iconic, but they are pretty much the epitome. They're the, perf the perfect example of what their particular things can be. Marvel Comics were nothing like that. And it was, it was a revolution. So I'll share with you, as I mentioned before, I didn't really like like superhero comics. But one thing I did like, almost more than anything else when I was a kid, I loved – because I've always been a movie buff, right? So I loved comic books that were based on movies. Now, Cave, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You're a little bit younger than me. But no, I know exactly what you're talking about. There were those oversized comic books that were based on movies. Did you ever have those when you were a kid? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I had the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi versions. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I had three. 
So there was Star Wars, although it might be considered two because it came in two issues. There was like the first half of the movie was in one and then the second half of the movie was in another one. Uh, needless to say, I had them both. Um, and then in addition to Star Wars, the other two that I had were like the oversized comic book adaptations of Close Encounters and Battlestar Galactica. Nice. And funny enough, as much as I love Star Wars, right, and still do, I think of those three, my favorite one as a kid was the oversized Battlestar Galactica. I probably read that thing a thousand times. And I know that he didn't have a hand in the characters or the drawing or the adaptation of these, but Stan Lee was a big part of them because, like, you know, he it was Marvel Comics and, like, he brought them, you know, to life, right? And they were called Marvel Super Specials, I remember. And yep. he as he was the guy that ran Marvel, so Stan Lee was re- responsible for bringing those into my life. And those things were, like, not just huge in size. They were huge for me personally. Like, those oversized comic books... They were, they just were so incredible. So then um, this past summer, I took my son to a comic book shop in Toronto and we were looking for stuff. And of course, you know, like, you know, again, all the superhero stuff gets all the love, right? I'm like, no, no, I'm looking for the oversized Marvel super specials from the seventies. He's like, oh man, I don't know. And he goes into a box and he finds it. And it's, but this one was both Star Wars one and two together in one big one. And I was like, oh, I didn't have that. And it, but it was missing the cover. So the cover oh. was ripped off. So you, so he goes, no, you can have it for five bucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course, because I don't really care about the cover. I'm not into collecting this thing. I'm into reading this and sharing it with my kid. So we get back and we just laid on our on, on my son's bed. And we just read the whole thing. And it was just every single panel took me back in time. Every panel. And as crazy as that sounds, like I just look at the panels, like all these emotions flooded back. I'm like, I remember that as a kid reading that so many times. And it's like, a, it's just absolute complete nostalgia. So for that, that's the number one thing that I, that I think about Stan Lee was these oversized Marvel super special comics. And like I said, have you heard of those? You, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a few of those myself. And, and when I go into the comic book shops these days, you do occasionally see some of those oversized books. Uh, and the ones that are in good condition tend to go for quite a bit of money. So I told this story on the on the podcast like a long time ago. And I went into a local comic book store here in Barrie, Ontario, and with my son. And we saw the oversized um, Close Encounters was there. And it was 10 bucks. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it was up on the top of this, like, shelf, right? And, and I was like, oh, my God. I said, I said to my son, Trent, I said, we're buying that. That's for sure. So I said, let's look around because we were there to look at a couple things for him that he wanted. Um, and then I said, when we're done, we'll get that. And then we looked around and then we went over to get it and it was gone. And I'm like, what? the hell there's not even anybody hardly in the store like what, what the, why is it gone what, i don't understand so i walk up to the front and it's sitting on the counter and i'm thinking like did that guy know i wanted it he took it down he read my mind i said what's this doing here and he's like oh no that guy over there just bought it i'm like what look what's the chance <laughs> of this happening so i didn't i lost out on a ten dollar close encounters one but we have the Battlestar galactica and the star wars ones like i say i got it without the cover who cares and yeah. oh man those things were good um nice. so in addition to 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 that anything else that you wanted to uh, that 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 Stanley did that kind of touched you. I've got quite a few actually. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's sort of go back and forth a little bit on this. So um, rather than continuing to, to delve into his life, let me talk a little bit about sort of my my you know this is time to getting to know the caveman. Nice. So when I was youngster, and I got to think I would have been about seven or eight years old at the time, um, I would spend the summers visiting my cousins who are uh, the same age. I have two cousins. They're twins. They're the same age as me. They were born, you know, their birthday's a couple of weeks before mine. They had an older brother 
Now, I'm the oldest. I have a younger brother. Uh, so this – my cousin was their older brother and, of course, they worshipped him and, of course, I worshipped him because I didn't have an older brother. And so whatever he did, they wanted to do as young boys often do with their brothers. And so my cousin, my older cousin had gotten into comic books. And so, of course, his two brothers were now into comic books. So when I went and spent the summer, I got into comic books because that's what everyone was into. And I can remember – you know, pouring through these comic books, not knowing anything about any of them. I mean, I recognized the characters. I recognized Superman. I recognized Batman. But these – they weren't into the DC comics. They didn't care for Superman and Batman. They loved Spider-Man. Spider-Man was everybody's favorite. So, of course, Spider-Man became my favorite. And Spider-Man is, is of course, one of the great characters Stanley's uh, responsible for creating. And, uh, you know, arguably before the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, Spider-Man was the flagship character for Marvel Comics. And I guess to a certain extent probably still is. And so I spent my summers with my cousins and we would pour through all their old back issues and, and read the comics. And we would go down to the comic book store and buy older issues. And we couldn't wait till new comic book day and go buy new issues. But it was always Spider-Man, 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 Spider-Man. And when I first started buying comics with my own money, when I got home and thought, I want to be into comics like they were into comics. Spider-Man was what I was looking for too because that's what we loved. And for the longest time, Spider-Man was my guy. That was my character. Who's your favorite character? Spider-Man. No <laughs> hesitation. And when I first started buying comic books, this was the time where Marvel was sort of going through some uh, uh, you know, ideas of how to, how to beef up their characters, how to refresh it for a new audience. This was when Spider-Man first got his black costume, which is now the costume worn by the Venom character, which people who don't know anything about Spider-Man probably know, hey, there was just a movie called Venom. Yeah, a little background on that. The costume, the black alien symbiote costume started off with the actual spider-man peter parker the original spider-man character um so that was sort of my introduction to marvel comics was when spider-man got this new costume and that was sort of how my cousins sold it to me they're like hey do you know about spider-man i'm like yeah of course i do and they're like he just got a new costume i'm like you're kidding me and it's black i'm like oh my god you know seven-year-old me mind blown oh my god this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and uh yeah, I was hooked. I like right away. It was it was something for me to do that I could uh, do with my cousins, and then when I came home, I could do it, and it would remind me of the positive experiences I've had spending the time with my family. But it was something that I could share with my friends. Hey guys, are you into comics? No, you should be. Here's why: read Spider Man. Isn't it great? Oh yeah, this is great. Look, you just got a new costume. Oh my god! Like, you know, it was it was a way for all of us to sort of be doing this thing individually but together it was a way for us to have this sort of shared yet sort of secret understanding of this of this storytelling world so when i went to see my cousins the next summer it was like you know what have you been doing and how was school and all that but it was like have you been reading amazing spider-man well of course i have well, wasn't it great when this happened and that happened and it was like i haven't seen these guys for a year but boom you know immediately you have this shared context of you know, how have you spending your free time? I've been reading Spider-Man comics. So have I. Okay, let's talk about them. And uh, yeah, no, it's that was sort of my introduction to Marvel comics. Okay, so I've got one that I want to share with you. It's very obscure. Okay, so just I, I just I want to talk about this. There's another aspect of my childhood that Stanley had a, had a huge influence on. And like I say, it, it's obscure to say the least. So just hear me out. So, Kate, as you know, um, and, and I think anyone that listens to this podcast on a regular basis kind of knows, like I'm a huge fan of comedy. 
right? Like it's my favorite genre of movies. Like, and I, I obviously I mentioned I like to read funny stuff when I was a kid, and I'm a big fan of the classic comedy movies from like the 70s and 80s. You know, I, I always get Yancey to watch those, right? Uh, when he's not on vacation. Um, uh, and so one thing I used to love as a kid, remember those spoof magazines that were popular like there? Mad Magazine, yes, Cracked, like Mad and Cracked, exactly. Yes. Those were the two big ones. And yep. me and my friends loved to read Mad and Cracked, and I. I, I liked Matt. I, I actually really like Cracked. Probably as back, I would say probably as early as seven years old, I started reading those. It was like in the late 70s. I liked those magazines a lot. And at the time, n- like none of my friends were really into them. And I, like I totally was. And then it was about, uh, I was about 10 or 11. And then all my friends started to get into it. They started to like Mad and Cracked magazine. But, at, but by that time, by the time I was 10 or 11, I started liking another sort of similar um, kind of satire parody type magazine and it was relatively obscure and it was a lot edgier too and it was called crazy caveman have you ever heard of crazy magazine no i, I figured you were going to say national lampoon no I no like, i like oh i like national lampoon especially when i got okay. older uh, yeah. national lampoon more into, into no university. crazy i don't know so crazy was kind of like a mad magazine kind of thing and anybody that's listening you can like google it and it was published by none other than marvel and really? The, yeah, and on the cover, it was touted as a Marvel magazine. And I remember on page three, like when you when you open it up, the magazine switched to black and white pages because the cover was like glossy and in color. And then like, like Mad Magazine was too, right? And anyway, at the top of the table of contents on page three, it always said Stan Lee Presents. And then it would like give the table of contents and then goes into the magazine. And, you know, as much as it, it, it was kind of nerdy, you know, for me to like these kind of parody magazines. But the fact it had Stan Lee's name on it kind of made it seem like in a way it was like tied to like the cooler comic book stuff, like like Spider-Man and X-Men and stuff like that you're talking about. So it made me feel like I was in some way like affiliated with the cooler stuff. Am I making any sense at all? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I'm just looking up the covers of this crazy magazine and none of these look familiar so, at all. I don't think I ever remember seeing these. So uh, I was like I say, I was really into it. And then just recently I started to to. Like I, I went through a box of the basement and I found some old ones that I had as a kid that nice. I saved. And I also went online and I got a couple as well off eBay and stuff. And I've let my son read them. But the thing is, like, as I'm reading them, I'm like, man, these things are pretty edgy, you know? So I got to be a little, a little careful because it's not like where's mad and crack. Crack especially was very lighthearted and like it wasn't really wasn't edgy too much. But, um, but crazy was pretty edgy. Like there's some stuff in it that's like it, it. The whole point of it is almost subversive. It's almost like it's trying to give kids bad ideas. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> like there was one part that I just loved. It's called Obnoxio the Clown Fun Pages. So Obnoxio the Clown was especially later on. It was like the mascot because you know like Mad Magazine has like Alfred E. Alfred Newman. E. Newman. Yeah. Well, this one has Obnoxio the Clown, and he's like this clown that's like unshaven and it like smokes and it's like just dirty he looks like an alcoholic like it's just awful and he's got like these fun pages and he'll have things like okay here's what you do kids go and get uh, two go get two plates and go get some jewelry out of your mom's jewelry box and put it in the middle and make a tambourine with it and shake it around i'm like what you're giving us <laughs> like you really like, like they're trying to do like little subversive things and it would be like one of the, my favorite things was on the obnoxious clown fun pages was um it would say these are my favorite punchlines and it would just be like random punchlines and you're like what is it? what are they doing it'd be like ah i can't believe i ate the whole thing and then, like, that's all it was. Like, it was just like really weird, edgy kind of stuff. But, uh, but like I say, so crazy magazine. 
huge <laughs> influence on me when I was a kid. I loved it. I loved the edginess. I loved the comedy of it. I loved the fact that it was different than what everyone else was reading. And it was all from Stan Lee. So that's a huge one for me. All right. So um, let me let me go back a little bit into some of the biography of Stan Lee, but not necessarily the, the same stuff that you're going to hear rehashed over and over. So um, one of the things that Stan Lee did was he was a shameless self-promoter of the Marvel brand. And what he, <clears throat> excuse me, what he was trying to do or what he did quite successfully was made the reader feel like they were friends with the people who created these comics. He wanted to make everyone feel like they were part of the club. You got, you know, you were part of the, uh, the Marvel fan, what was it called? The mighty Marvel marching mighty. I can't even remember it. Mighty mighty Marvel marching society. I think it was called. And like, so at the beginning of every comic book, you always have the credits. These are the people who wrote it and drew it and did the anchors and the letters and all that stuff. And Stanley, uh, began putting like crazy nicknames around people, you know? And so it wasn't just Jack Kirby. It was Jack the King Kirby. And it was like, you know, he had all these, these nicknames for people because he wanted to make them feel more like they were real people, but they were like people you might know people you might meet. And, in the um, the back page of the comic books, they always had like the letters where you could send in letters to the publisher. You know, I love this issue because blah, 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 blah. Hey, I have a question about blah, 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 whatever. And in the letter page, uh, Stanley always had a little uh, section called Stan's Soapbox where he would write an editorial. Right. You, all the kids – and it would have been predominantly kids – reading Marvel Comics. And he would – He'd get political too, right? Yeah, and it was all sorts of things. I mean, it was usually pretty light for the most part, and it was a lot of promotion of what they're doing. But but he wrote in such a way that it was like speaking right to you, the reader. And um, you know, we always it was like, "Hey, true believers," and it was always like he wanted to like uh, reach right out of the page and and make you feel like you're included. And as a youngster, I always read those things. I always read the letters. I read the Stan soapbox. And it really did come across like, hey, he's writing this to me. Like, I, I mean, I knew he literally wasn't writing it to me, but you certainly get that sense. And Stanley was exceptionally good at promoting the brand. Um, you know, in the, I guess it would have been the late 60s, early 70s, they put out that Spider-Man cartoon. Uh, the character of Spider-Man appeared on the Electric Company. Um, Stanley used to do talks at colleges and universities where he would promote Marvel Comics. And so like think – so I brought this up before. I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith and Kevin Smith uh, has been doing this for years where he does tours where he literally just sells tickets, come and see Kevin Smith live and he just talks to the audience for two and a half hours. He tells stories. He asks, he answers questions uh, you know, and, and this is basically what Stan Lee did in order to help sell the brand. He would go to, to campuses of colleges and universities and give these kinds of speeches where he would ask questions and he, he would answer questions and he would talk about the, the comic books, but he would also talk about like some of the social issues that were being addressed in comic books and how addressing these issues in comic books could have a very positive effect and reach an audience that other mediums may not be able to reach. And you know, to, he was definitely ahead of his time in this regard. And this is, you know, when I keep saying like he lived the rock star life, like to me, this is this is part of what builds to that. And, um, you know, I, I, not that I knew this as a youngster, but I've learned about it. Like, obviously, since then, you see like you read biographies, you see biographies on TV and YouTube about Stanley and you learn about this. And you're like, you know what? 
this absolutely makes sense given what I do know about the man that he would have done this. And so, uh, yeah, so, sorry. Yeah, no, I, so I have a question. Something just came up. So because you're you're right. Because I mean, Stan Lee was more than just the guy that re- created the characters and, and wrote it and inked it and all that. He was more than that. It wasn't really that. It was the fact that he he was the promoter. Of, yes. of this stuff. So with him, <clears throat> with his death, there's a void there for that. They, they, it's almost like, the, <clears throat> you know, Marvel or the comic, you know, world needs somebody to step into that role and be that promoter. Is Kevin Smith that person, you think, to step into that role? Um, No, I don't think so. Uh, although um, Kevin Smith does a couple of different podcasts, uh, one of which uh, used to be called Fat Man on Batman, and now it's called Fat Man Beyond, which I'm a big fan of. I listen to it all the time. And they just did a Stan Lee in memoriam episode that runs like, two and a half hours and it was great and Kevin Smith actually had become friends with Stanley and they've been friends for about 20 years and so Kevin Smith was just retelling all these stories about his personal interactions with Stanley and if you don't listen to that podcast but you are a fan of Stanley and or a fan of Kevin Smith I would highly recommend people go and uh, and download it it was great and Kevin Smith if you don't know he wears his heart on his sleeve he's a big old softy he's crying his eyes out through this whole thing because he's like remembering the, the life and times of, of his friend, Stan Lee, and and he's feeling this tremendous loss. Like I think the episode was recorded like four or five days after Stan Lee died. So, you know, it was very, uh, very much the top of his uh, his emotional bubble there. And um, uh, yeah, but, but back to your question. I don't necessarily think that one individual needs to be the champion of that brand anymore. I think given the Marvel Cinematic user, Universe, the uh, – immense broad reaching um uh, arms of marvel now they have so much brand awareness already you know they joke you could call it the marvel machine they put out another movie this year they put out another movie this year and it made all sorts of box office records and look at all these people are coming to see these movies and it's just you know you could argue that the marvel comics when they put out something in their shared universe it becomes a license to print money because they're going to make all the money and when they come out with the new uh, avengers movie um uh infinity i mean, you know what i'm almost embarrassed to admit i can't remember the title of it infinity Gaunt- what was the last one called infinity war you're asking the wrong guy i watched Fonzie. The last one's called infinity war <laughs> i'm not even sure what the next one's called um but yeah when it comes out it is going to make literally all the money uh and like just like black panther did earlier this year like it was a gamble. People were like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Are people going to go and see it? And it's like it was absolutely one of the best Marvel movies, and it made all the money. It was so good. It made all this cash. Um, but yeah, like Stanley himself wasn't writing the scripts of these movies. Stanley himself wasn't directing these movies. He had cameos in all these movies as, as an homage, as a wink-wink, as a, a way to honor his contributions to the – uh, ideas that created these movies, um, but if not for, you know, his creative—I'm going to use the word genius—his creative genius, you know, you don't get characters like Black Panther or the X-Men or the Avengers. Like Stanley was responsible, in part or in whole, for creating all of these characters that are now right at the heart of what is the most popular of pop culture today. Oh, I agree. And, and the thing was for me, like when I was growing up, like, you know, back in the day, you know, because I'm so old, um, like like I said, even when I was as, as young as seven, like I remember vividly, you know, liking pop culture, liking movies, liking TV shows. Like I was just obsessed with that stuff. Everyone else in 1977 was out, you know, playing road hockey and stuff like that here in Canada. I was like inside watching TV and watching movies. I just loved it. And so some of the Stanley stuff, like I said, since I wasn't a big comic book guy, kind of 
I, I was influenced by him sort of indirectly in some of the movies and TV shows he did. One that came a bit later for me was Howard the Duck in 1986. So, like, I never really liked the comic. I found it could be weird and dark and kind of odd. But the movie, they went a different way and they made it kind of campy and kind of like, you know, kind of cheesy, which I just love that stuff. And um, the movie was a bomb. I think because it departed from what the comic book was, but I liked it. I don't care. I liked that movie, the one with Leah Thompson and Tim Robbins. I thought it was great. I'll go back and watch it over and over. That's one of the movies I loved. Have you ever seen it? I, I am embarrassed to admit that I saw it in the theater, saw it the one time. At the time, I thought it was great because I was 12 or 13 or yeah. how, like not very old. I saw it in the theater too. I was 16. Did yeah. not realize it was a, based on a comic book. Did not realize it was a Marvel property. Um Looking back, not long after seeing it and sort of going, you know what, the movie kind of sucked and <laughs> having never had any desire whatsoever to go back and watch it again. Uh, yeah, if you love it, that's great. Enjoy. You can watch it twice for me. So there's two other things that I'll mention that were in the like the late 70s that came out that were kind of indirectly uh, influenced, obviously, by, by Stan Lee. And they were both TV shows. So um, Spider-Man, there's a lot of stuff going on with Spider-Man, like especially when they made him into the movies, you know, Tobey Maguire. And then now they're like, there's a whole bunch of different iterations of it and stuff. But back in 1977, there was a TV series called Spider-Man and it was live action. And it was really, like, looking back, it was really not very good. <laughs> but I remember being, like, seven years old and watching that show and thinking it was great. And I remember even, like, the costume, like, I remember his, the eyes of the costume were, like, these kind of almost, like, little cages that came out that kind of, like, like were, you know, sort of con concave or convex little yeah. things. I don't know. It was just, it was not a very good show, but I remember liking that. And another one that I liked as a kid, and it's always kind of stuck with me was the incredible Hulk TV show. It ran from yeah. like 77 until like the early eighties and yep. with like, um, with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. And I really liked that show a lot. It was an hour long show. It was a drama. And I, I, I liked that. So, I mean, that was another one for me that I, so again, like for me, Stanley has sort of affected me indirectly. With, you know, some of the comics I mentioned and some of the movies. Yeah. No, I, I definitely – The Incredible Hulk as a youngster, I remember watching it on TV and loving it. Uh, there's a very uh, – uh, there's a there's a very funny picture of me dressed as the Incredible Hulk for Halloween one year. I think it was like <laughs> maybe five years old. Nice. And my mom like had like put this green face makeup all over my my face and into my hair. And uh, she bought like these. Please tell pants. me you were please tell me you were shirtless with the purple no, no, pants. No, no, no. Oh man. I had like this old dress shirt that it was all like ripped <laughs> up, and then she had like nice. I had like a green turtleneck on, and she bought me like these. I think she put the the makeup on my hands as well, but I had. Had like these purple pants that have been ripped and purple uh purple no green tights yeah it's my wife kate like laughs her ass off <laughs> every time she sees this picture she's like oh my god this is the most adorable thing i've ever seen i was like oh my god but as a young kid i thought the hulk was great and yeah definitely that tv show was was certainly uh one of my very first intro introductions to you know, the idea of Marvel Comics. Uh, I mean, I'm sure as a young kid, I probably – my parents bought me a comic here or there, but I didn't really, you know, care for it. And then it wasn't until I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old that I started to read the comics and realize like, hey, you can collect comics. If you keep them in reasonable shape, you can continue to read them and reread them and trade them with your friends or, or buy yeah. older comics to understand like, hey, this story has been around for – you know, I'm, I'm looking at the early 80s, so I'm like, this. some of these stories go back 20 years at that point. It's like, well, 
let's go to the local comic book store. How much is it going to cost to go back and buy those old issues? And at that time, a lot of those issues were not much more expensive than the cover price. It was like, oh, what's cover price? 75 cents. Well, how much is this back issue? $2. Done. Um, so for me, like it was the enjoyment I got out of reading the comics, but I very quickly got hooked on the idea of collecting the comics. Not even necessarily as I collect it because I think this might be worth money someday, although eventually that did start to factor in a little bit. But it was just this idea of as a young kid, I've got something that's mine. You know, this isn't something that mom and dad bought for me. This was something I bought with my own allowance money. Or when I got a little older and I got a part-time job delivering newspapers, it's like this is where my newspaper money is going. These are this is this is something that I have chosen to do as a youngster. I'm gonna choose to buy these comic books, keep these comic books. You know, organize them, alphabetize them, put my list together, go to the comic book store to try and fill in the gaps in your collection. Look for, you know, hey, this is, you know, I, I read this story about a particular character, good guy, bad guy, whatever. You're like, okay, well, let's go to the comic book store and talk to them and find out, like, well, has this character appeared before? Give me some of those issues. And, uh, you know, a, as a young kid, I didn't like to read. I wasn't a very good reader. And when my parents realized that I, I enjoyed comic books, they certainly encouraged that because they knew it would get me to read more. And so, you know, my dad would say, like, well, do you want me to, you know, drive you to the comic book store on the weekend? I was like, yeah, for sure. So there was this this nurturing from my parents to encourage this hobby. Now, my brother, no desire to do that. He wanted to play sports. I never really was that good at sports, which will probably shock the listeners who think that I'm <laughs> super nerd, that, oh my God, he's not good at sports. Are you kidding me? No, I was into comic books. I got later into role-playing games. You know, I never really got into video games, but you know, I started reading a ton. Like comic books opened the door for me to to reading, not just the you know, comic books are this the visual medium with the, the pictures and the words and all the rest of that, but then that got me into uh, a position where I was interested in now reading novels, you know, I wanted to read more stories about the fantastic or the science fiction or what have you. Uh, not necessarily a, a direct link to comic book stories, but just the idea of I learned to enjoy reading at a very young age and comic books did that for me. Mm, and cool. say, I love reading. Like I'm an avid reader. I'm always reading something. I, I like as we record this podcast, I'm downstairs in my office and I've got one, two, three, four, five, five bookshelves, giant bookshelves. Top to bottom, full of books, and these are these are all books I've read. There's comic books, there's novels, there's gaming books, there's you know everything. And it's like comic books is is the the precursor to my love of reading. It's like comic books is what opened the door for me to say I like to read. I get pleasure from reading. And, and whatever whatever it is that, that that gets a kid interested in reading, I don't care as long as it gets you interested in reading, right? It's all good. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier, I just want to circle back to because I thought it was kind of interesting. You were talking about um, Stanley. I think it was when he does when he was doing his like commentary little piece and how he sort of talked directly to people. Yeah. One of the things that the kind of I was thinking about that, and I just made a little note of. Like I think the in, one of the biggest influences he had was that he made he made it relatable. And like the, the characters, like you said earlier, the characters were relatable. The they, they they were superheroes, but they were like the average person that just happened to get you know bit by a spider or something like that that turned into this. They they weren't born on another planet, you know, and and come over here like Superman or something. And and so as a result, I think it made people, kids especially, obviously, made them think that they could be superheroes, you know, in in some way. And um, I'll tell you what. Uh, thinking of that, if I could be a superhero, if I could be any superhero, you know who I'd be? I would be Richie Rich. That would be Richie Rich. I think I would be Uberman. 
because I wouldn't actually fight crimes. I would just drive people there so that they could fight the crimes. <laughs> I'd be, be Uberman. But <laughs> um, I think a couple more things. We'll wrap, get ready to wrap things up. But um, in 2016, Cave, um, Fan Expo. You were obviously at Fan Expo. I met you at Fan Expo. I was there with my son. I came to talk to you. You were in the uh, role-playing game area. Again, you know, just, you know, making a legion of women fans because you're so cool doing that stuff. Um, (laughs) There are a lot of women that play role-playing games. It is, you know, you're laughing, but... No, I... The hobby has opened its doors considerably. I'm laughing with you. Encourage people of all... You know, race, religion, sex, gender, orientation, whatever. You want to make, like, the whole idea of... You're like the Tri-Lambs of Fan Expo. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's it's everybody's welcome, and everybody's treated equally, uh, and it's always a great time. When you were at Fan Expo, though, the, the interesting thing, the reason I bring it up is because Stan Lee was there. Did, did you get a chance to get out and see any exhibits or see any of the uh, the, the, the celebrities that were there? I, I Like I say, I was there. I didn't get a chance to, to see Stan Lee. I was busy. I went over and saw Mark Hamill at the time instead and I didn't get a chance to see him uh, no unfortunately I never did get a chance to uh, meet Stan Lee in person take a picture get an autograph uh, largely because by the time uh, you know over the last few years where I really had those opportunities where he was doing the convention circuit it, it became incredibly expensive to 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 get a photo with these folks to get a signature and I mean you know you look back on it now and you go well geez could I not have afforded the hundred bucks like I think that's something I might have like to have done now that I can't do it, I really want to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily think that, uh, it would have been throwing my money away. Like at the time I thought ah, I could put that hundred bucks to better use, but you know, now that Stanley's gone, it's like, he was an icon, right? Like Absolutely. it might've been worth spending the three or four minutes. And from what I heard from a lot of different people that you saw a lot of stories online from, uh, various people, celebrities, and, and even just regular people always said, Stanley was always on, always positive and you know for him it was the 10,000th person he was meeting but for you it was the first time you were meeting Stan Lee and he always made that person feel like you were the most important person to him Uh, I kept hearing that over and over again I kept reading that over and over again that you know he's he's a natural uh, he's got this natural charisma but he's a natural showman and it's like he understood his role as the ambassador for this intellectual property for this medium he is the ambassador to spider-man to iron man to the fantastic four and it's like he never got tired of being that ambassador he would make his appearances and people would say you know mr lee i want to thank you for creating these characters that i love and i really enjoyed these stories and he was always from what i what i heard what i read the most positive person in these appearances and and so for that reason i do sort of regret never uh, having had the chance to have my, you know, three minutes of, of FaceTime with Stan Lee. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and when I, when I, again, when I think back of Stan Lee, the key thing for me is this, is that like, okay, I, I was a nerd. I admit it. Like I, I never fit in with the, you know, with the cool kids like you, I didn't really, I wasn't good at sports. You know, I, I, I wasn't cool. I was, I was nerdy. I liked Star Wars comics and Battlestar Galactica comics. I recently connected with somebody on social media that I knew when I was that age in like grade school. And one of the first comments that, that, that he said was, oh yeah, I know. I remember you, you were a Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica nerd. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and I did, I liked that. And crazy magazine, like I mentioned before. And Stanley brought that stuff to me. Right. So it, the thing was, it didn't matter that I, that I wasn't cool. You know, or that the fact that I was different or the fact that I was a nerd, because you know what? Somewhere else, 
there was there was there was there was this guy that made this stuff that that kind of spoke to me. You know, it, it spoke to me directly. I thought. Like, and, and, and from what I've heard from people, just like you were mentioning that, you know, that liked all that superhero stuff that he did, like they felt the same way, you know, he, he was very, Stanley was very inclusive, you know, he was a liberal minded guy, you know, and he, he seemed to feel that everyone should be included. And you touched base on that earlier, you know, everyone should be included. Everyone could be cool. And it didn't matter, you know, what you liked or what you didn't like. There was something unique for you in that whole thing. As far as I'm concerned, Stanley's legacy wasn't Spider-Man or X-Men or, you know, the Avengers or even comic books in general. I think his legacy was that the idea of no matter who you were, who you were, who you are, that you mattered, you know. And for that reason, I think Stanley's a really important person, both in, you know, pop culture and and also for me personally. I, I hope people share my sentiment on that. I don't think I could have said it better myself, Chris. I think uh, that's probably a good place to end off. On that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, so Caveman, we're going to have some fun. So since you're more of a comic book guy than I am, you know, I thought I would kind of play a bit of a game with you here. So I've noticed, again, not being a huge comic book guy, but I've noticed it in a lot of comic books. A lot of the characters have like catchphrases. It seems to be a thing, right? They have these catchphrases. So I thought what I would do is... I'm going to mention the catchphrase and see if you can tell me the, the, the superhero or the character that it belongs to from a comic. We can do that? Ooh, okay, yeah. I mean, a few of them immediately come to mind, so I'm sure that they'll be on your list, but I'm sure you're going to have some really obscure ones. I'm no, never but like, know, but... if I was to say, to the bat pole, Robin, you would know that it was? Superman. No. <laughs> no, that would be bad. <laughs> of course. So, you know, it's an easy one, right? Okay. Um, so, who said the catchphrase, um, Avengers Assemble? I would think that's probably Captain America. It was correct. Yes, it's very good. Okay, so that, there you go. You got an easy one. Um, how about this one? Shazam. Who used to say Shazam? Foxy Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cap- the character is known as Captain Marvel. People just know him as Shazam, but yeah, Captain yeah, Marvel. That's correct. That's correct. And yeah. yep. there is a movie coming out, I believe this summer. Mm-hmm. I think it's just called Shazam, and if you haven't seen the trailer, you have to take a look. It actually looks great, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um, who said flame on? Who's, whose catchphrase was flame on? Human Torch. Yes. <laughs> you do know your comic books. This is great. Um, I was going to say something, but I'm like, uh, that'll just get bleeped out, so we'll go with the right answer on that one. All right. How about Great Caesar's Ghost? Who in the comics used to say Great Caesar's oh, Ghost? Oh, um, uh, that was Perry White from Superman oh. Comics. <laughs> really? oh, couldn't think of his name. All right. Now, this is kind of comic book related, but who used to say Cowabunga? Cowabunga. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Boy, you really know this stuff, don't you? Um, who would say Odin's Beard? I got to imagine that's Thor. It is Thor. You are correct. I tell you. Um, who used to say uh, Gojo's? Who used to say Gojo's? Uh, would that be just G.I. Joe in general? It was G.I. Joe. You yeah. are correct. Oh, here's one. This is one of the ones. I, I didn't like a lot of comic books when I was a kid, as I mentioned. But one guy that I did like used to say Sweet Christmas. Uh, that was Power Man, Luke Cage. Ooh. 
<laughs> you really know these. How about now, that one? In all fairness, yeah, I only know because of the Netflix show Luke Cage. Oh, okay. I used to they like have the a comic. music catchphrase, right. and then I remember reading something where they were interviewing the actor, and they asked him about that. He said, "You know, sometimes when I play this character, I got to remind myself that he was created by a white man, and this catchphrase clearly." Was a white man's idea of what a black man might say. That's that, that was, was like, what it, yeah, okay. It was. <laughs> All right, who used to say it's clobbering time? It's clobbering time. That would be the thing. <laughs> that was the only when you said catchphrase. That's the first one I thought of. Wow. How about I am the law? Uh, and uh, all I can think of is Sylvester Stallone saying it in the really bad movie adaptation of Judge Dredd. You are correct. It was I Judge Dredd. And then, and, and then Rob Schneider makes fun of him, Mr. Adela. <laughs> um, so one last one here. All right. We'll end on this one. Excelsior. Whose well, catchphrase was Excelsior? I believe that was Stan the Manly. It was Stan Lee himself. I tell you what, you did awesome on that. Good, good job. I tell you what, though, if, if I was ever in a comic book, um, or if I should say if Uberman was ever in a comic book, my catchphrase would be, Great Scott! I, I don't know why. <laughs> it would just be, It would. I guess it would, be, it would be a reference to my Uber dispatcher, Scott, for some reason. You know, he's the guy that sends me out on the Uber calls. Um, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a little homage to Doc Brown from Back to the Future? Oh, maybe that would be it. I don't know why. I've just always thought, I thought that would be kind of cool. Great Scott! God, that's what yeah. I would say. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'd probably Uberman would just spend all day Ubering, like, regular people around, you know, to pay the bills. <laughs> and then whenever he'd get a call from, like, Uber Dispatch, you know, you'd have to say, great, Scott, and then go and pick them up and drive them to the crime. So that's I, I imagine he'd be just going, no, 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 it's regular, Scott. Yeah, exactly. Just, he'd be like, Uberman, just drive them there, please. That's yeah. all you need to do. Just drive them to there, and then and, and that's it, you know. Um, so, yeah, so really good job. You obviously know your comic books very, very well. Yeah, I don't Much know if that's uh, something to brag about or something to be embarrassed of. But, nah, uh, nah. It's all yeah. part of it. It's a part of the nerd culture that we have around here, so it's all good. Um, I tell you what, if you want to reach out to uh, to Derek, you can find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. Uh, you can reach Yancey at Yancey Eaton. Hopefully, we're going to get that young man back in the studio soon here, I hope. You can always get me at C. McBrien. You can always go to popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is there. And if you enjoy the show, make take a minute, go over to iTunes and leave a review for the show. We certainly we certainly do like that. Um, so for next week, what do you say we come back and review a movie? You got anything you want me to watch? I'll throw it over to you. Sorry to put you on the spot, but uh, no problem. you got no a movie problem. or something that, you, that I can watch and we can come back and review next week? What do you think? In case Yancey sure. doesn't make it back? Yeah, you know, I, I figured this might uh, be the direction we went in. So uh, I think in keeping with this comic book theme, I'm going to throw a movie out to you that is... Please, please be ha- Howard the Duck. Please be Howard the Duck. Oh. No, no, not Howard the Duck. The 2000 uh, M.I. Shyamalan film Unbreakable, oh, starring Unbreakable. Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. I have never have- seen Unbreakable. I... I, I'm, and I'll be honest, I, I'm the M. Night Shyamalan. I saw, um, obviously, The Sixth Sense. Uh, uh, Sixth Sense. I thought it was great. Um, and then I watched, um, the, I went to see The Village, and I hated it. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's terrible. So this would be interesting to see if Unbreakable is good, like The Sixth Sense, or if it's going to be bad, like The Village. So we'll have to see. Well, I remember when it came on the theater... Uh, my wife and I went and saw it on the first day as uh, around that time, that was our thing. Friday nights, we would go to the movie every week to see whatever was new. Uh, we went and saw this movie. We loved it. And we called up some of our friends and said, we're going to go see it again tomorrow. Do you guys want to come with us? And we did. And I remember coming out of the movie that second night and we just went out, had a few drinks and we just 
talked about this movie for like a couple of hours. We we all had some ideas and thoughts about it, and and we really enjoyed it. So I really hope you like it, Chris. It is a quote unquote comic book movie. It doesn't feature any characters you've ever heard of. They're original for this film, okay. um, and uh, it's not a dark future in a post post apocalyptic corner of outer space. Uh, so so I know, thank it, you for that. Yeah, yeah. But believe me, I, I had some of those in mind as well. I figured just because Yancey's not here doesn't mean we shouldn't represent his particular <laughs> uh, his particular favorite genre. But uh, yeah, I'm going to throw this out to you. Unbreakable, M. Night Shyamalan from 2000. And I, I got so many things I'd love to talk about it. Uh, let's, uh, let's see if you enjoy it. Okay. I hope you do. But if you don't, I'd like to hear why. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about that next time. Absolutely. I'll, I'll make sure and watch it before uh, next week. And then we'll come back and we'll discuss that movie. That sounds good. I'll take the challenge. Uh, until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 